welcome ye listeners to Kim Knows Nothing. Wow. <laughs> I told you not to yell. You literally yelled into the microphone. <laughs> I give Kim the rare opportunity to introduce the podcast. And number one, she just starts cracking herself up thinking about what she's going to say. Then she begins screaming into the microphone and blowing it out. Probably broke the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, this is good. This is a good one. Content. <laughs> I'm crying. Oh, no. Oh, my gosh. Oh, this is bad. <laughs> I know. Kim, what kind of a podcast are we? We are a true crime podcast. Yep. Wow. Who says true crime while laughing? That seems insensitive. Monsters. Monsters. Yeah, you're a monster. Oh, my gosh. I'm sorry, guys. We're a true crime podcast. Stacy does all the work. <laughs> and uh, I make jokes that are funny to me. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason that I do all the work and share a true crime story with Kim is because Kim doesn't know anything about true crime. So her reactions are just really raw and real and sometimes kind of dumb. I don't understand why they fill pillows with different things. You say pillows? I guess. I didn't know. Say it again. <laughs> pillows. Say it again. Pillows. Yeah, you said pillows. <laughs> I know people who say pillows. It's fine. Yeah? Okay. Yeah. All right. I don't understand why they fill them with different things. Just fill them with one thing, you know? Well, I know the answer to this, but I feel like I don't want to burst your bubble. Why? It's a cost thing. You want to buy a crappy pillow, then it's going to be stuffed with some weird fake cotton stuff. That's like a $10 pillow. My pillows are all filled with hay. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Kim doesn't even have a home. She has a pillowcase filled with hay, and she sleeps on the sidewalk outside my house. I don't let her in here unless we're recording the podcast. That's fair. I think that's for the best. (laughs) She's not allowed inside the home unless she's working. (laughs) I think listeners of this podcast will agree that that's a smart move for you. (laughs) (laughs) Take your hay-filled pillowcase and get out of here. Bedtime, Kim. Okay, bye. (laughs) (laughs) So sad. She also wears like a... um, one of those barrels with the straps is for clothes. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Like oh, from the old cartoons. Cash poor, barrel, overalls rich. <laughs> Where'd you get that barrel? Don't ask. Don't ask. I went to Niagara Falls. Oh. <laughs> oh, this is ridiculous. This is so dumb. Oh, man. Well, all right. We're back in it. Another right. week. Okay. Another week. Another week. Another, another murder. Another murd. Murd. Murds Thank on you. the cast. It's October. It's the month of October. Mm-hmm. Getting ready. The leaves are falling. Well, here in, in Los Angeles, you can subtly tell that it's <laughs> yeah. fall. There's a subtle, there's a few trees around that where the leaves fall and they change colors, and you, you see it. It's about three degrees cooler than it was which it was very hot so it's right. still very hot right but now all these assholes are wearing scarves and beanies oh yeah the that's second how you that, know yeah and i oh i hate that and you're they're sweating I'm like yeah uh, obviously you're sweating do you need your psl i can't be bad at a psl actually <laughs> like cool beanie right take it off no i can't i'm too my head's too sweaty right duh it's duh. still la it's still 1000 degrees yeah because o- of science october can be the hottest month the it past is. couple of years it's been the hottest month which is yeah. a bummer um but yeah so october's fun i like it halloween's coming i love it love yeah. the holidays all right you ready to get into this ready to get bummed out yes i uh i started this episode very happy and in like such a silly little mood. Yeah. I did fanfare. Uh-huh. Um, I was wearing such a regal outfit. Uh-huh. Now I've changed. <laughs> I'm ready for this. She had a bell when she was going to do the hear ye, hear ye, ding ling ling I said yeah. no bell. So. No bell. Yeah, she did. Take that but back to your your curb house. <laughs> I put it in my barrel pocket. <laughs> but you didn't make me take off my barrel hat. <laughs> You immediately regretted that after you said it. I saw it in your eyes. You're like, nope. No. A barrel of- hat. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, I think it looks, in my head, it looks like a top hat. <laughs> it's made of like a small Does it barrel. have a brim? 
Of course. Okay. <laughs> All right. So this week we're talking about a rape and murder. Yep. I am no longer laughing. Yeah. So going to be real bummed. Yeah. Okay. I'm sufficiently bummed already. Good yep. job. This murder took place in Barberton, Ohio in 1998. Oh, man. That is... What was the oh, man reaction to Well, I think it was confusion because 1998 sounds like it was like just yesterday, but also... It does, yeah. That's also 20 years ago. Right, math. Now I'm remembering that I'm so young and also so, so very, very old. <laughs> and also 1998, really good pop music coming out then. Uh, that's yeah. Your, that's your Britney Spears. That's your in sync. That's your Backstreet Boys. That's your most important. <laughs> that's your Mandy Moore candy era. <laughs> okay. Get out of here, Spice Girls, Spice World, Spice Up Your Ooh, Life. I was a Spice Girls fan. Me too, but listen. <laughs> who's too. on the block now? <laughs> Mandy okay. Moore coming out with candy. All right. So thank you, Kim, for setting the scene. <laughs> You're welcome. I wasn't going to explain 1998. I'm glad Kim did. I was um, I was ugh, morbidly uncool in 1998. Morbidly uncool. <laughs> now, Barberton, Ohio is a suburb just eight miles south of Akron, Ohio. And in 1998, it had a population of around 27,800 people. So it's a pretty average-sized town, not like a big city or anything. Mm -hmm. But it was a generally safe place, pretty suburban, not a lot of murder happening here. Okay. Our victims were Judith Johnson and her six-year-old granddaughter, Brooke Sutton. Oh, jeez. Judith was born Judith Ann Poston on August 21st, 1939, and lived her whole life in Barberton, literally born and raised, this woman. We don't know too much about her background, but she did get married and had two daughters, Melinda and April. She was described as very kind and generous, and she also loved to play bingo. At the time of her death, she was 58 years old. Wow. Sounds like a sweet lady. Yeah. Young. So, so Judith, but went by Judy. Yes. Love it. Brooke was the daughter of Judy's daughter, April. So Judy had two daughters, Melinda and April. Mm -hmm. Brooke is April's daughter. And April was married to David. So April and David are Brooke's parents. Okay. Brooke Sutton had gone to her cousin's birthday party with her grandma and afterwards decided she wanted to stay the night with her, which was something she would do pretty regularly. She liked hanging out with her grandma. She lived nearby to her grandma and, and would spend time with her, which is sweet. That's really sweet. On June 7th, 1998, it was actually, it was a pretty hot night and Judy opened her front door to catch a breeze and just help cool down the house. And mm. she and granddaughter Brooke watched TV together and then they both went to bed. Oh, no. But then, sometime after midnight, Brooke heard some sounds coming from the kitchen. And she went to look. She saw a man beating her grandmother. Oh, God. This is, this is bad. Scared, of course, yeah. she ran into her grandmother's room and got under the covers to hide. Remember, she's six years old. Oh. Very little. The man sees her, follows her into the room, and hits her over the head, knocking her unconscious. Jeez. When six-year-old Brooke woke up a few hours later... She didn't have any clothes on. <sighs> so she went and grabbed one of her grandmother's nightgowns to put on. And thankfully, she didn't really know and wouldn't ever remember because she had been knocked unconscious, but she had been sexually assaulted. <sighs> so it's awful that that happened to her, but the only saving grace in that is that the six-year-old doesn't remember this having happened to her. Yeah. She had been beaten pretty badly as well. Part of her left ear was missing and the whole oh left side of her face gosh. was completely swollen. So she had just been beaten over the head with something. Wow. Pretty severely. The assailant likely thought that he had beat her to death and left her for dead, but she was just unconscious. Yeah. So Brooke gets up and goes into the living room and she, oh finds, her, she finds her grandma in a bad state. Her grandma was actually still alive. And this is brutal. She was throwing up blood. Ugh. Really bad. Yeah. But little Brooke, she blacked out again. She'd been hit pretty hard. So she re regained consciousness, but then she fell back out of consciousness mm -hmm. and didn't wake up until just another few hours later in the morning when sunrise had already happened. Mm -hmm. So she finds her grandmother again this time. She tries to wake her up and realizes that her grandma's dead. So Brooke picks up the phone and dials the first number she could think of, which was, wasn't 911. She actually called a friend's number. Interesting. Which it is interesting because yeah. I remember as a kid being told like call 911 but I think 
for whatever reason, she just wanted to call a friend, someone yeah. she knew, and it was a number she had memorized. She's and so six. That's I what mean. she did. She's six years old. Yeah. Now, her friend didn't answer, so she left a voicemail. In the voicemail, she said, I'm sorry to tell you this, but my grandma died, and I need somebody to get my mom for me. I'm all alone. Oh, my gosh. And so then she hangs up the phone, and her next move is to go run for help. So she goes to a neighbor's house two doors down. The woman at this house was a friend of her grandma. Her name was Tanya Brazil. She actually played bingo with her grandma. Mm -hmm. And Brooke played with Tanya's daughters, Tasha, Misty, and Selena. They were her three best friends. So these were people that she knew. She goes to their house. Yeah. But something was something weird about this is that Tanya answers the door and she sees Brooke. And Brooke is, of course, covered in like blood and yeah. is all messed up. Tanya tells Brooke that she has to get her girls ready for school. What? So she has Brooke wait out on the porch for about 45 minutes, which is weird. That's so weird. Right? Now, it made me think of this. Did, did you see in the news recently the, the doorbell girl? No. This is all I've seen of it is yeah. on BuzzFeed. That was like the headline for a while. Yeah. And I, even that is haunting. Just watching that video of her. No, I didn't watch the video. Oh, oh, just, just seeing the, idea. the still of the her. The still of it, yeah. So, uh, listeners, this happened uh, several weeks ago, but there was this viral video of one of those doorbell cameras that people have, and it was a woman in the middle of the night with, it looked like, restraints around her arms, and she's running up to a doorbell, looking terrified, hits the doorbell, looks around, looks scared, and then runs away. <sighs> and the homeowner posted this video online. It went viral, hoping to find out who this woman was. And when you, yeah, when you watch it, my husband showed it to me, and I was like, that's way too scary. I can't, I can't watch that. It's really yeah. scary. Um, but it, they did find her and that she is safe and she's fine, but mm -hmm. she was in a, a pretty serious situation. Her boyfriend had then later killed himself and she was in some trouble. But anyway, so, um, but what they were talking about in the news segment that I watched is, you know, what they advise you to do is don't always answer the door and let people in. Yeah. Which I, I personally think that to me is sad. If there's a woman in the middle of the night bloodied with restraints on her arms i'm letting her in i don't i don't care i will take that chance i'd rather be the person that was killed and taken advantage of because i fell for that trap than to be the person that didn't let her in and something happened to her yeah because the likelihood that you're going to get murdered already we've talked about this before mm -hmm. is so low anyways i will take the chance it's a woman she looks in trouble she's got restraints on her hands yeah i'm letting her in I'm yeah not i'm not thinking twice about it but what they did advise though was to to proceed with caution yeah. Just wait it out a little bit, ask some questions, call the police, do more due, dil due, due diligence before you just let somebody in. Yeah. And I think some people are 50-50 on that. They would be like, oh, I have kids in my house. I'm not risking anything. If there's mm -hmm. a man chasing after her with a gun, I could potentially be inviting someone like that into my home. Yeah. And I have children here. I'm not taking that risk. Yeah. So I think it's a personal choice that people make i don't know what i would do thanks for asking uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's what i wanted to get to is because this could be a similar situation where it's like this girl's in trouble she's covered in blood i have my girls inside the house is this a wise choice yeah to just immediately let her in and you know who but knows also, what she was thinking 45 minutes a that's a long time old, yeah it's a i don't know it's i don't know what i would do like in a situation but a six-year-old would be in the house yeah. i would pull her even if you have to Get her in the house, tell your kids, stay in the room because yeah. you don't want them to see that. Right, 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 right. Whatever. Like, you got to let this girl in and figure. So you would do that for a six-year-old. What about the woman with the restraints? She, I mean, she looked like to, to be in her mid-20s, early 30s, maybe. Probably I would let her in. In I the middle of the I, night, yeah. I don't, I really, I think it would really depend on the exact, like, exact circumstances. Right. Of where I'm at, where I'm living, what I have to protect myself in that moment. Yes. And like, I I don't want to be somebody that says like, absolutely not. Yeah. But I also don't know that I can just blindly, I like, you're much braver than I am. I'm yeah. gen like, you're, you know, I don't know. I think I just it would, would just kind of depend on the moment. But anyways, th that's, I, I, it just made me think of that. Yeah. Because what else could explain why the girl was left to sit out on so the porch weird. for so long? Because then eventually what happened is Tanya got her girls ready for school and then she, um, she took... Brooke, she drove Brooke home basically to her parents. 
Okay. So when Brooke was brought back to her parents, April and David, April noticed her daughter was wearing her mother Judy's bloodstained nightgown. Remember, Ugh. Brooke had put that on and probably got covered in blood oh, because yeah. she probably like leaned over her grandma and was trying to help her. Yeah. And so immediately her mom, April, was like... Come very, back in 45 minutes. Very, <laughs> yeah, I need to think about this. Was very worried. David, the father, decided to drive to Judy's house where he found his mother-in-law dead on the living room floor in a pool of blood. Gosh. And then he calls the police. Judy had been beaten to death, suffering multiple head wounds. It appeared she had been beaten with a blunt object like a baseball bat or a pipe or something, some kind of a blunt object that could be used as a weapon. And it appeared that because of a trail of blood, the altercation with her assailant had had begun at the front door and then moved to a chair in the living room where a lot of the blood was found. There there were also defensive wounds on her hands and some of her nails were broken off because she really fought really hard against this guy. I mean, he comes into the kitchen. She's fighting him so hard that like he had to like force her into another room. I mean, it took a while. She was really, she put up a good fight. But it was also evident that Judy had also been sexually assaulted. The medical examiner estimated her time of death was between 2.30 and 5.30 a.m. So kind of a wide window. They weren't weren't sure exactly. And then next, of course, Brooke was taken to the hospital. There she was interviewed by the police. And she told them that the man who had killed her grandmother was her uncle Clarence. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Now, Clarence Elkins, he is the husband of Melinda, Judy's other daughter. So Judy, the murder victim, she's got Melinda and April are her kids. And Melinda is married to Clarence. Clarence Arnold Elkins was 35 years old, and he lived 35 miles away in Waynesburg, Ohio. He was born January 19th, 1963 in Canton, Ohio, which is only 15 miles north of Waynesburg. And his parents were Charles and Nancy Elkins. At the time of the murder, he worked as a metal press operator. So working in basically a place where they're making metal and he's operating the machine that presses the metal to make like nice thin sheets of metal. Gotcha. He had married Melinda, Judy's daughter, in 1981. And together they had two sons, Brandon and Clarence Jr. Clarence and Melinda, they were going through some pretty rough marital issues. And Clarence would often get frustrated at his mother-in-law, Judy, was always meddling yeah and obviously she was always on her daughter's side of course and kind of giving clarence like a lot of crap about six weeks before the murder melinda had actually left her husband to go live with another man oh shit but she ended up coming back and then clarence at one point he had also left but then he also came back so this is a pretty yeah it's not a good situation it's a pretty troublesome marriage there's a lot of bad feelings here and judy was definitely very opinionated about her distaste for Clarence, they had actually gotten into several verbal arguments about this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Investigators spoke with a close friend of Judy's who said that she was present when Judy had received a phone call from Clarence about a week before. And in this phone call, Clarence was threatening to kill Judy. Ooh. So there's clearly a motive here. I mean, he is not happy about his mother-in-law. I mean, honestly, it's the most cliche thing. You hate your yeah. mother-in-law, right? I don't hate my mother-in-law. I love her. Good. That's all I have to say about that. You're married? (laughs) (laughs) Also, investigators found letters that Judy had written to a friend about Clarence. She called him, quote, the SOB. Oh. And she talked about how he had left Melinda with no money, no water. Basically, he left. He wasn't paying the bills, so there was no water oh, like, power on. I thought him. he was like, and he took all the water he out took of the all house. The water, but with no money, no food, the water was off, and he would do anything to ruin her daughter Melinda's life. Wow. So she didn't really. Wasn't not very a fan. happy with not him. A fan. Okay? I'm not, you know, I'm gonna say something that's kind of crazy. Yeah. Maybe you'll agree. Maybe you won't agree. Whatever. We can. I'm not a fan of him either. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Clarence Elkins was immediately arrested that same day on June 7th because you've got a motive and you have a wit like the victim, Brooke, pointing him out. He claimed to know nothing about the murder and that he was at a bar drinking the night before, nowhere near the crime scene. Mm. And then he came home where his wife, Melinda, was up and waiting for him and went to bed at about 2.50 a.m. So that was his story. But investigators saw a three-hour window of time that he could have left his house, driven to the crime scene, and committed the attack just in time to return home before dawn. Because remember, if the time of the murder was between 2.30 and 5.30 a.m., there's that window of opportunity 
Yeah. That yes, his wife could have seen him come home, but after she goes to bed, he could have gotten up and gone and committed this crime. Yeah. But of course, his niece, who knew him really well, had seen him and identified him. So it was really just like an open and shut type of thing. Yeah. On May 10th, 1999, Clarence Elkins went on trial for the rape and murder of his mother-in-law, Judy Johnson, and the sexual assault and attempted murder of his niece, Brooke Sutton. At trial, little baby Brooke, six-year-old, she took the stand, and when asked, she pointed right at her Uncle Clarence and said he was the one who hit her in the face. I cannot even imagine like just that visual yeah just it's really sad also so brave this girl is just the bravest so brave oh yeah it took the jury 13 hours to make their decision and on june 4th 1999 clarence was convicted of first degree murder sexual assault and attempted murder and he was sentenced to 55 years to life in prison good case closed oh no right this is a short one. Done. Okay, well, see ya. Done deal. Let me go out and enjoy my PSL. It's 100 <laughs> degrees outside. I'm going to enjoy my PSL, but I'm going to put on this beanie. Okay. Yeah. My boots. <laughs> my boots. Now, Clarence's wife, Melinda, mm-hmm. she was actually pretty adamant that her husband didn't commit this crime, even though they Interesting. had even though they had marital troubles. She was convinced there's no way he did it. Now, the rest of the family was like, of course he did. We believe Brooke. She yeah. saw him. Yeah. But Melinda was like, nope, I don't think he did it. I don't believe that. So she continued to stand by him. Stand by your man. Exactly. The other point that the family was making, because this definitely split the family in two for sure. Yeah. Is that what motive would Brooke have to lie about something like that? Yeah. Right. Why would she lie? Well, just four years after the murder, in January of 2002, when Brooke Sutton was now 10 years old, she decided that she wasn't really sure if it was her Uncle Clarence at all. Uh And she actually recanted her testimony. Wow. She went to investigators and recanted her testimony, and this was videotaped and documented. Wow. She, She said that the man who killed her grandmother had brown eyes, not blue eyes like her Uncle Clarence. And she said that she told the police that they asked her what he what this man looked like. And she said he looked like my Uncle Clarence. Mm. So was this really her saying her Uncle Clarence did it? Or when she's being asked, what did he look like? She says, well, he looked like my uncle. Yeah. Okay. So now she's little. She's little. Yeah. She doesn't have a lot of. She's going to be like, well, he's about five, seven, five, (laughs) seven and a half. Exactly. Like, you know, she knows a small amount of people and that's one of the people that she knows well and so then as an investigator when you're hearing this information you're hearing not it looks like the way my uncle looks like you're hearing my uncle clarence they're like oh wow that sounds like yeah also again what we just talked about is it's very rare that you would be murdered by a random person yeah the likelihood that it's someone you know in your family that is most murders ever that happen yeah you'll murder me one day exactly i know that it'll be a great episode of the podcast Uh, whoa Whoa. i'm sorry you're gonna put it on the pod on the cast cool I have a friend who always forgets the name of the podcast because he doesn't really actually listen to it. But he's like, Thanks, friend. Yeah. He's like, Oh, you're going to record another episode of Killing Kim? I was like, "Mm, That's not it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, even with recanting her testimony, Melinda, the wife of Clarence, petitioned the court for a new trial, but was denied. No No new trial. Why? Potentially, it's because they didn't want to admit that they had done something wrong. Okay. And they don't want to open up a can of worms where they might potentially have to admit that they have done something wrong. That is a bummer. But also, there isn't really any physical evidence. There isn't any, like, anything at this point, like DNA or anything like that. Anything solid. All you have is the eyewitness testimony that's being recanted. Really not strong enough for them. Yeah. So, Melinda decided to conduct her own investigation. Okay, Melinda. Now, this woman, she's dope. Yeah. This is the kind of woman I want to be. Okay, let's hear it. I hope that I already am. So first, I'll I'll be the deciding factor. Oh, okay. First, she started by creating a list of all criminal offenders near her mother's home. Yep, yep. 
that's you. <laughs> I've already, I actually already do that. Yeah, <laughs> that's weird, that. but yeah. true. She sought out a private investigator who helped her with this list. His name was Martin Yant, and he was also an expert on wrongful convictions. So she has some help here. But this investigator helped her uncover the fact that, remember the woman who was the friend of Judy and said that she was there when Judy received a phone call about uh, that Clarence... Oh, wanted to kill her. Wanted to kill her. Yeah. She also said that right after this phone call, Judy had called 911. Now, there were no records that any such 911 call was ever made. That's insane because as I, as we know that I know. Yes. From the show, 911. <laughs> <laughs> There's records. There are records. And this is 1998, so it's not like, yeah, you know, th- th- they would definitely have records of something like that. There was no record of the 911 call. So now you can almost throw out that testimony. That's done. Okay, so that's yeah. out. Also noted was the fact that when Clarence had been arrested, which was only a few hours after the murder, there wasn't a mark on him. But we know that Judy had fought back pretty... Aggressive. Like, yeah. Yeah. Not a mark on him. She broke her fingernails off. Damn. Like, she definitely scratched up whoever did this to yeah. her. Yeah. So again, okay, very suspicious. Also at the scene was quite a bit of DNA and fingerprint evidence. Namely, a good amount of fluid obtained from a vaginal swab of Judy Johnson. But none of this DNA was tested. This is not a... Who was this defense lawyer? (laughs) Chuck E. Cheese? I think they did a pretty good job, but the problem was... With this case, you have a six-year-old girl, sweet, innocent victim, what she went through saying Uncle Clarence did it. This jury, they did deliberate for 13 hours. They definitely they definitely struggled over their decision. But yeah. when it comes to a six-year-old saying, my Uncle Clarence did it, yeah. even without any physical evidence, I think it was pretty hard for that jury to say no. Yeah. So, but, but still, this is a very bungled case, for sure. Yeah. Now, eventually, six years after the murder... The court finally gave Melinda Elkins permission to test the swab of DNA that was that was taken from Judy. Mm-hmm. And, of course, enough DNA was there in order to obtain a profile. And the DNA did not belong to Clarence Elkins. Wow. Okay, so now here's some hard physical evidence okay. that doesn't prove that we have a killer. There's no name, but it exonerates Clarence Elkins. Yeah. Certainly. So for a second time, Melinda petitions the court for a new trial. But the prosecutors argued that that DNA sample could have been contaminated. This is shaving up to be a very awkward Thanksgiving. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Why is it Thanksgiving? No, just like their next Thanksgiving is Oh, yeah, the family. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The judge. (laughs) Like that you like, you laughed at the joke and then you were like, but I don't really. Wait, but I don't really understand that. At this point, though, by the way, I will say. The family had sort of come together because once Brooke recanted her testimony, her mom, April, and then because their sisters, Melinda and April, their mother had been killed. The moms, the sisters finally were like coming together and the family was really realizing, okay, we don't think Clarence did it. So it took a couple years, but the family was coming back together at this point. Poor Brooke. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. She must just carry so much guilt for, you know, being involved. But the judge agreed that this DNA sample might be contaminated, and he did not grant a new trial. Come on. But guess what Melinda does? She does not quit. She doesn't give up. You know what? She, you know what? Melinda does not have one ounce of quit in her. That's right. Yeah. Love it. Love this woman. Yeah. So she started educating herself about DNA because, okay, so there is DNA, and now she's thinking, I want to find the person who did it. So she's got that list of criminals that she was going around trying she's to like... She's got her list. She's got the dino into. DNA. She's got it, yep. <laughs> so she needed to learn about how to properly connect, how to properly collect DNA. Because at this point, it's about... We're in the early 2000s. So not everybody knows. Like, we know about DNA, but not everybody knows, I think, what we know now about how to, like... You can't just grab any random item. You want to make sure you get, like, for example, like if you got a cup... 
you want to make sure that cup is and it has their saliva on it. Make sure it's not contaminated. Put it in a plastic bag and secure it. And like, you know, there's different steps you can take to make sure you get a very clean DNA sample. Yeah. So she started watching shows like Forensic Files <laughs> to like educate herself about how to collect DNA samples, which is, I think, amazing. Yeah. So she starts by following all of these men that she had a list of all around town because they're all local criminals. Mm hmm. And she starts just gathering DNA. Shit. I, but, this girl's cool. Oh, yeah, for sure. Sorry, I want to... This woman. This woman is amazing. Yeah. She would follow them around to local bars and restaurants. And sometimes she would have to, like, flirt with these guys, which, of course, disgusted her because she's like, this could be my mother's killer. Yeah. Um, but she would, you know, flirt with them, do whatever she had to do, and then they would leave and she would grab their beer bottle or their glass and take it with her. Cool. If they were smoking a cigarette, she would grab the cigarette butt. Whatever it was that she could get. Saliva is kind of one of the best ways that you can get DNA. From fluids, that's the best DNA sample that you can get. Gotcha. Now, in order to get these samples tested, it cost a lot of money. Yeah. So she received some assistance from the Ohio Innocence Project. And also, she put up a website, freeclarence.com, and raised money that way. And she also used some of her personal money. And she was able to hire a private lab to do the testing, okay? Wow. So she's going to test all this DNA from all these criminals that she was hanging out with. Cool. But. No. Nothing came back as a match. Damn. And at this point, Melinda, she kept coming up in the news about this because every time she would petition for a new trial, this would be in the news. Yeah. She would do TV interviews, whatever she could to try to let people know that, like, her husband didn't kill her mom. She believes it. But people were accusing her of just being like, you're just doing it for fame. You just want to be famous. And you just love the spotlight and you love the attention, which is really sad that that's yeah. how she was treated. But things are looking kind of a little bit bleak because she's like, well, what else can I possibly do at this point? Well, one day she is reading the newspaper and she would always check the newspaper to read about any local crimes to just be uh, looking for criminals. Of course she would. Okay, so on the cover was a story about a man named Earl Mann. Okay, Earl Mann. Okay. In September of 2000, he had been convicted of raping his three daughters, which is so... Ugh, I, ugh, I, I hate that so much. And he was on the cover of this newspaper. So it was a big story for the local news there. And he had been sent to prison for seven years for the crime. So this man's in prison at this point. Mm-hmm. But the reason it caught Melinda's eye was because the name of his common law wife was listed in this article, and her name was Tanya Brazil. Do Wait. you remember who this is? Re no, remind me. Tanya, the neighbor who answered <gasps> the door. She was the one that was like, stay outside for 45 fucking minutes because I need to get my kids ready for school. Guess what? She didn't have kids. She had kids. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Wow. So Melinda sees this. She know she knows that this that Tanya was her mom's neighbor. Yeah. And so she immediately was like, Okay, I'm gonna start looking into this man. Does she know about the forty five minutes thing? Yes, she knew about that. Okay. And in fact, she is quoted as saying, quote, I always felt there was something very odd that Tanya wouldn't have called the police and let my niece in. She left her on the porch. That was odd to me. So, yes, now that information is kind of adding up, and she's like, oh, okay. Wow, Stacy, you really took me on a ride. Yeah. Because you were like, th you were so casual about, like, this is <laughs> weird, but you. I don't really know why. And I really was like, well, we'll never come back to that, but that was weird, Stacy. The acting. This is good. This is, oh, this is what I do it for. I try to, like, I got to convince you. <laughs> you did. <laughs> that was good acting, bud. Thank you. <laughs> Now, Melinda, though, she knew her, her mom's neighbor was Tanya, but she didn't even know that Tanya was married. She didn't even know that this man, Earl, even existed at all. They weren't legally married. It was a common law marriage. So Earl was never around. She didn't even know. What's a, if Earl's not around, how is it a common law marriage? They had, I guess they had been together enough years for it to be a common law marriage. I'm not sure. Interesting. Earl Mann was born March 4th, 1973, and he had a long criminal record, of course. Yeah. On one particular occasion, he severely beat an older man in a robbery. In another incident, he hit a man from behind with a pool cue and stole his bag of food. Holy shit. Another time, he punched a man, dragged him down his driveway, and dropped the unconscious man's body in the road. Ew. <laughs> Which is just like, this dude is, is violent and... 
a jerk, obviously, and severely deranged. Of course, worst of all, he had just confessed to and been convicted of raping his own three daughters. In a plea deal that angered the community, he was only given seven years in prison for the rapes. Yeah, right? No. Now, that's not how that works. Yeah, and that's, again, that's because it was a plea deal, that's what happens is you get a shorter. A sentence in exchange for pleading guilty instead of, and then you don't go to trial and it just yes so now remember this is 2000 so by then he if he had killed judy johnson that would have already happened yeah okay you want to know what i think of whenever i hear the word plea deal yes i just picture somebody being like please yes. please <laughs> on their knees yeah yeah please <laughs> yes now later melinda elkins would learn something interesting about earl man okay he had I feel like a stupid looking mustache. No, not a mustache. No mustache at all? Nope. Good. That's, no. Okay. (laughs) Um, He had actually been arrested on January 5th, 1999 for robbery. This would have been only a few months after the murder of Judy Johnson. At the time of this robbery, he was very drunk and belligerent and said something that was probably a slip up and he shouldn't have said it, but he said it probably because he was drunk. He said to the arresting officer, quote, why don't you charge me with the Judy Johnson murder? Oh. The officer of the Barberton police, Gerard Antonucci, filed the comment as is standard procedure in situations like that. But at Clarence Elkins' trial, this information was never disclosed to Elkins or his attorney, even though that is protocol. That's protocol when someone's on trial and any exculpatory evidence, that needs to be introduced. And the police department had this information and legally they should have turned that over, but they didn't. Great. So that's a bummer. Now, as far as the timeline for when the murder occurred, June 7th, 1998, Earl's location, where Earl was at the time, was he had gone missing from the halfway house where he was staying on June 3rd. And then Judy was mm. murdered just four days later on June 7th. So his he there. He couldn't say where he was at the time. He was just missing from his halfway house. Yeah. So it's kind of looking like... You did it. You did it. Dude. Something else, too. Remember the voicemail that Brooke left on her friend's answering machine? Remember she said, somebody killed my grandma? Yeah. Now think of this. She didn't say Uncle Clarence. Oh, yeah. Why didn't they... Why didn't they discuss this You should be a lawyer. The investigators... And this is all on the... This this just never should have gone to trial because the jury was so swayed by the six year old pointing the finger at her uncle that they were yeah. they were blinded. They all of this information was introduced except for that what I just told you about the police statement because that was not introduced. But they were blinded by little sweet Brooke pointing out her killer. Yeah. But in the phone call, she said somebody killed my grandma. If she knew it was her uncle, she would have said my uncle Clarence. Of course. But it's clear that she. Once she said the words Uncle Clarence when somebody asked her who it looked like, that's what they went with and didn't let it go. And of course, the six-year-old was like, yeah, Uncle Clarence, Uncle Clarence, because she doesn't know any better. She's sweet and innocent. Of course. Right. So the investigators definitely messed up many, many times over Mm -hmm. and over and over again, and they Mm -hmm. bungled this case. Melinda, of course, is convinced that she's found the real killer. This is all adding up. This is circumstantially, this is making a lot of sense, right? Yeah. She also decides to pull up a photo of him from the online registry of offenders. And the photo of Earl Mann, it looked just like Clarence Elkin. So it makes sense that Brooke would have said he looked like my Uncle Clarence. Yeah. Yeah. And then, like she had done before, going to bars and flirting with ex-cons, she's deciding, I'm going to have to get DNA from this guy. But this time he's in prison, so how is she going to get DNA from him? She's going to... Commit a series of crimes. Oh, yes. That puts her in the same jail as him. <laughs> She'll slowly but surely earn his trust. <laughs> They'll become lunch buddies. After months of lunch buddies time, which she pretends to like, but she doesn't like, he finally, finally leaves a cup behind. And she almost says, hey, Earl, man, I'll get this cup for you. But she doesn't that time. Because she needs to earn his trust just a little bit more. Then, three weeks later, (laughs) he leaves behind a fork. And she doesn't tell him that he did it. And she puts it in her socky. Her sock. (laughs) Wow, this is quite the story. Then, she's exonerated of all of her crimes. And she gives the sock, which was, she gives the fork, which was, safe in a sock uh-huh. to a lawyer. Uh-huh. And then the mayor says, here's the key to the city, Melinda. And her oh. record is wiped out. 
Okay, they don't incarcerate men and women together. So. No, they do this time because <laughs> they do this. No, time. the woman's jail because of ladies is not very secure because just lady crimes. But Melinda is such a badass. Oh my god, you are a little idiot. <laughs> No lady jail could possibly hold her. <laughs> lady jail, that's what they call it. Yeah. Okay, no. So she decided that since he's in prison, what she'll do is she will write him letters. Oh. And she was hoping to obtain his DNA from a lick on the envelope when yeah. you lick that envelope, okay? So she starts writing her letters and she describes herself as more attractive than she was, said she was lonely, searching for pen pals, just essentially trying to coerce him. She would spray the letters with perfume and even like leave lipstick kisses on the letters, which of course like creeped her out and made her yeah. sick to be doing that. Like this man potentially killed my mother and I'm like trying to and he get in with him. And his three daughters. Right, yeah, the dude, yeah. Unfortunately, garbage, garbage unfortunately... He doesn't lick envelopes? He never wrote back. Ugh. There's only one way for her to get in there now. <laughs> <laughs> tell the story again. Please don't. <laughs> but that was all right, though, because Melinda had another plan. Now, guess what prison he was housed in? Not the ladies' prison. <laughs> sure enough, Earl Mann was not only in the same prison as Melinda's husband, Clarence, but their cells were close, and they were in the same housing pod, which only housed 30 to 35 inmates. Oh, wow. Clarence and Earl were actually together in prison in close proximity every single day. That's insane. It's crazy. Yeah. So once she finds this out, she's like, all right, Clarence, husband, I'm putting you to work. Okay. She tells him about how to gather clean DNA evidence. She tells him to have a clean tissue and a baggie on him at all times and basically follow Earl Man around. They're having lunch or whatever is going on. Just follow him around. And at any point... In his sock. Any point that you can get an item. One day in prison, Clarence sees Errol smoking a cigarette and he drops the butt in like a clean, like makeshift... Uh, ashtray yeah Clarence, Clarence grabs it with the tissue puts it in the baggie then he puts it into his bible and closes it so that way it's hidden and it's flattened and then he mails it to Melinda I am into this father no I'm into this husband and wife team isn't this amazing yeah now of course Melinda is very excited to get this DNA tested mm-hmm. she goes she has it tested and you are the father. <laughs> it was a match yeah. to the DNA found on Judy's body. Earl Mann Good. most definitely raped and killed Judy Johnson. Ugh. But Ugh. insanely, Melinda requests another trial again and is denied again. No! I'm walking out of this place. Again, I just feel like this is, they they don't want to admit culpability in this. They're, the entire justice system is flawed from beginning to end in this whole thing, and they don't want to admit that they've done wrong. So stupid. Do you, do you know how many times in my day-to-day life yeah. I screw up? All the time. Constantly. Yes. And then I just admit it. And people are like, that's Kim. That's She's fine. a tiny idiot. And uh, they move on. Right. Just admit, don't be, I mean, in all honesty, just don't be afraid to admit your mistakes. Yes. It makes you a better person. <laughs> you get to move on and fix it and then go well, enjoy the rest of your life. The other thing I will say is that when someone is wrongfully accused, it's going to cost the state a lot of money because there will be lawsuits. Well, it's costing me a lot of frustration. Where's my money from the state for that? <laughs> so not to defend them, but that they're thinking of that too. They're like, oh, great. We wrongfully imprisoned somebody. We're going to have to pay them a lot of money. I feel like their first concern oh, yeah, should be, should be oh, the wait, human we life also... That, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Now, because they uh, this judge, this particular judge, didn't grant her a new trial, she was advised to go to the attorney general of the state of Ohio. His name was Jim Petro. Good. She talks with him. The attorney general, he runs his own DNA test, and their own test is a match. They already had her old man's DNA on file because that's what happened when he was arrested and for these other crimes. They had it on file. They tested. They, tested, they were like, we don't need your cigarette anymore. Yeah, we don't need your cigarette you. butt that you work so hard. We'll do our, they did their own test, and same result. It was a match. So being the attorney general, he stepped in, and Clarence Elkins 
conviction was vacated. Good. In December of 2005, almost seven and a half years after he was initially imprisoned, Clarence Elkins was released. It's crazy to think about how much time had changed between like him going he went into jail in 2000 he went to prison in 1999 okay so think about the world in 1999 yeah oh y2k was a very scary thing he missed all of that yeah when he went into jail mandy moore was a pop singer (laughs) when he left jail mandy moore was an acoustic singer and actress oh when he went into jail the Spice Girls were still a group. Uh, yeah. When yeah. He went out of jail. No more. No more. Ginger left. <laughs> That's crazy. That's all you got. <laughs> That's crazy. That's crazy. He went into jail. Titanic had already come out. When he wa- got out of jail, Titanic was available on DVD. <laughs> <laughs> he missed almost all of Dawson's Creek. Oh, how unfortunate. Don't be like that. It's really good. (laughs) I've never seen it. Now, here's something pretty special about Clarence. When he left prison, he never held any anger or resentment toward his niece, Brooke. Wow. Which is really sweet. And Brooke has done many interviews and she talks about how her uncle Clarence was never mad at her. Because for him. Really, he was in prison because of what Brooke said. Yeah. But he never held her accountable, which is really, that's really admirable of him. Yeah. I just think that's amazing because... I don't know. You're in jail for seven and a half years. You're in prison for seven and a half years. I think a, you can, a lot of bitterness could probably yeah. develop. Yeah. The human spirit is An amazing truly thing. Yes. something special, Stacey. So, God. <laughs> so in August 2008, Earl Mann pleaded guilty to the rape and murder of Judy Johnson and was given an additional 55 years to life in prison because he was already in prison. Good. 55 years to Stay life. Stay there, idiot with your stupid no mustache face. <laughs> He wrote out a confession where he said that he was on the run from that halfway house that he was staying at and he needed money. So he knocked on Judy's door when she wouldn't let him in. He forced his way in and the attack began and things escalated. His common law wife, Tanya, remember whose house Brooke had ran to. Yeah. Continues to this day to say that she did not leave Brooke out on the porch for 45 minutes and then that she was in no way trying to cover for Clarence. Uh which, I'm pretty sure you did. I mean, come on. I think come that's on. ridiculous. Her daughters, Tasha, Misty, and Selena, now they were all Brooke's age at this time, around that around that age. They believe that when their mother heard Brooke say the man looked like her Uncle Clarence, because Brooke told this to Tanya, the neighbor, Tanya encouraged the girl to keep saying it because she thought, oh my mm. God, Earl did this. Yeah. This is what Tanya's own daughters think. So Tanya's own daughters really think that their mom was involved or she was trying to cover for Earl, even though Earl, this was before he had been convicted of raping the daughters. So at this point she could have still been trying to cover for him. And even her daughters don't believe, don't believe her. Yeah. Later in April, 2009, a lawsuit was filed. Of course, a million lawsuits need to be filed. Yeah. Putting the Barberton police department in the hot seat and accusing them of mishandling the case. The court would find that the police department had indeed failed. They had made a Brady violation, which was established after a landmark landmark Supreme Court case, Brady versus Maryland. Brady material involves any exculpatory evidence that the state may have. And that statement that Earl Mann had made to police in 1999, not long after he had murdered Judy Johnson. Mm hmm. The, the, the police department not revealing this information to the defendant when he was on trial, it was a very clear Brady violation. That, was, that was something that they had to do. Yeah. So they were in trouble for that. Um, Clarence Elkins, as a wrongfully imprisoned person, filed multiple lawsuits and was awarded in total around $4 million from multiple set, settlement, settlements from the state of Ohio. That'll fix it. Yeah. <laughs> Shortly after Clarence was released... He and his wife, Melinda, did divorce. They had a lot of problems before all of this. I think Melinda worked hard for justice for her mom, Mm -hmm. for her husband, yes, even though their marriage wasn't really going to work out. But she really just was just working hard for justice in general. And um, they both have since remarried and are happy. And Melinda Melinda now works for the Ohio Innocence Project. Cool. Yeah. Melinda's cool as shit. Yeah, she's dope. Yeah. Yeah, that's the, that's the person that I want to be because that's yeah, yeah, awesome. Yeah. I don't, I mean, that's pretty high lofty goals. That's pretty lofty. Yeah. I don't think anybody should not try. Yeah. But 
I I don't want to be put in that position, number one. Yeah. But I would I would like to think that if I was put in that position, I would be her. I, I would, think you I would, totally I would, would do be that. Like that. Um, I'm so tired. Yeah. So that's the that's the story. Took wow. you on some twists and turns. You really did. I tricked ya. Yeah. I like tricking ya. He missed all of Good Charlotte. <laughs> Kim, you are, you just, you're embarrassed that you said that. Yeah. Your face. You, you, the whole time that I was telling the rest of the story, you were thinking. I was like, can you please shut up? You were thinking of 1999 to 2005. What can I think of? Good Charlotte. Good Lord. Yeah. Any other final thoughts that aren't Good Charlotte related? Oh, now you're really narrowing it down. It's weird to me that, um. Was it the Mad- the Madden brothers or Good Charlotte? One of them is married to Nicole Richie. Oh, right. One of I them is married yeah. to um, Cameron Diaz. What? Yeah. Like Cameron Diaz is married? To one of the guys from Good Charlotte. <laughs> I didn't know Cameron Diaz was married. Yeah. I don't, really, I don't really follow up on like who's married to who, but every time I find out that somebody's married to somebody, my mind's always blown because I never pay attention to it. Yeah. Well, when, one day when you're married, you'll understand. <laughs> <laughs> Kim doesn't think I'm married because she wasn't invited to my wedding. Sorry. Yeah, it wasn't. Honestly, when I got married five years ago yeah i didn't really wow. know i didn't know kim as well yeah five years yeah. next month in i November. feel like but the reason that it's so funny is yeah. that we did you didn't know me that well but yeah inching up closer and closer to the wedding we were getting, we were closer. getting yes, closer yes we were and then it and was that's like why it's oh so funny. yeah now this is but it's also like you can't you those lists are locked in you can't do anything about it at a certain point it is weird when you look back at your wedding and you look at your invite list that, so there are some people that we invited that we've never spoken to ever again they do you think that it was the wedding that drove you guys apart? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. But I just think it's funny. That, like, it is funny. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for coming to my house. You're going to have to get back out on the curb now. All right. Hang on. Let me put my uh, barrel top hat back on <laughs> and get out on the road. Before you leave, tell us how to find us on social media. Well, as uh, let me dig into my barrel pocket and get out my phone. And Your barrel doesn't have pockets. No, it's my hands. <laughs> my hands are my pockets. Yeah. And I put my phone in my hay-filled pillowcase. <laughs> uh, go to your Twitter app, your Facebook app, your Instagram app, and search for, click the little button that's a magnifying glass, and then search for Kim Knows Nothing. And that's us. We're Kim Knows Nothing on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and dot com. Kim Knows Nothing dot com. Yes. Cool. And leave us a review. Uh-huh. Leave us five stars. Yeah, please. That would be great. And also, <laughs> you could probably find Good Charlotte on <laughs> Spotify. So just give them a I listen. wonder. Yeah, give them <laughs> Yeah. And uh, yeah, and you can find all but one album of Mandy Moore's on Spotify if you want to listen to the range to start with, you know, pop singer all the way to the artist that she's evolved to in now. Let's wrap this thing out. Yeah, I think that's for the best before we just dig ourselves into a deeper hole. Yeah, if you're still listening, you're a true fan. (laughs) (laughs) All right, thanks for listening. We love you. Thank you. Okay, bye. See you next week. (laughs) 